So we, we go today in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, which is the next value. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now this is wild, because Jesus, again, he's, he's about creating a movement that's literally going to transform the world, but what he's going to say is, uh, this, this world needs something that you didn't think it needed. Every movement is based off of this idea that there's something wrong, and so they're going to start a movement in order to right that wrong. But Jesus isn't writing just a couple of different wrongs. He's writing the entire universe that's wrong. And so when we ask the question, man, what's wrong with the universe, Jesus is going to answer that question today. And again, if, if Christianity is something that maybe you've dabbled with or maybe you've been burned by in the past, today's an amazing day for you to be here because we're going to clarify some misperceptions about what Christianity is really all about. And I'm going to set a bullseye target up there for you guys to understand, man, what, what is this really all about? Jesus is going to say, blessed are the pure in heart. It is all about the heart. Now, here's the crazy thing about it. Our society will tell us, no, that's not what's wrong. It's all about, you know, social inequality or gender inequality or socioeconomic inequality. I mean, you name it. There's, there's all sorts of things out there. Um, re- religion is the problem. And I'm going to say today, yeah, actually, religion is part of the problem. Uh, but it goes a lot deeper than that. This is what Jesus uh, affirmed. He affirmed, actually, that the Old Testament was true. That it was actually the word of God and it actually pointed people to him. That's what he said at the end of Luke. That all of it, the law, the prophets, and the, and, and the writings, they all point to him. And so he explained that. So back in Genesis 6, this is what we read. When we look at the problem of the world, what is really wrong in the world, it says the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Hundreds of years later, the psalmist David would articulate something pretty similar. He says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And from this, man, he would declare in Psalm 24, he says, man, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can get to God? Because we're all messed up. Who may stand in his holy place? He says, he who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. What's the standard? Perfection. Now, some of you hearing this, though, like, you think, wait, 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 I've been to churches like this before, and every single time I go into them, I just feel judged, I feel less than, because my life is not perfect, I don't have it all together, and there's some people in here who may pretend that they have it all together, but that's not me, and as soon as I walk in, I get those icy stares that stare me down and telling me I'm less than. This is not what Jesus is about. Jesus is not about the external things, okay? This is so important. What Jesus is after is who are you, not when people see you on the outside, but who are you behind closed doors? What's going on in here? This is what's going on. This is crazy. Uh, The Times actually, uh, years and years and years ago, uh, the Times uh, asked a big question at one point. They said, what is wrong with the world? And a man uh, named G.K. Chesterton, really cool guy, reportedly said, uh, he wrote back to the Times and he said, "Uh, dear sir, I am (laughs) sincerely yours. G.K. Chesterton. This is what Jesus is after. He's saying, look, it actually doesn't, it doesn't matter as much on the outside in your behavior, all the stuff that you do and show on the outside. What matters is who you are behind closed doors. And because of that, every one of us contribute to the brokenness in this world. Now, if that grades you the wrong way, it graded me the wrong way all week, okay? So uh, I'm not going to be the only one struggling. I want you to struggle as well, all right? Look, this is, what, this is how it happens, okay? Um, 
None of us in this room would dispute the fact that Hitler was one of the most evil persons on planet Earth, right? I mean, if you're here and you're like, no, 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 I've, I've, I've had this in my, my thoughts all along. Like, Hitler was just misunderstood, you know? He just needed a big, like, you know, rub on the back. Like, Hitler, he's a good guy. You know, like, you know, everything deep down, he was a good guy. He's just misunderstood. No! If that's you, you need to leave right now. Otherwise, it's going to get weird in here, okay? So, that's not what happens. Um, but what also didn't happen was one day Hitler woke up and just like, I think I'm going to be the worst person on planet Earth. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. Like, that, he didn't do that. That's not how all that went down. <laughs> it happened through a series of small, incremental, consistent decisions that put him at the center of the universe and not God. Just to show you that Jesus is after the heart and not just your outside behavior, that that's where it all begins, Jesus took it to another level. Uh, later in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, just a couple verses later, Jesus would actually say, man, let me show you how bad this is. Ready? This is what Jesus, this is what God really looks at. He says, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Right? We don't dispute that. If you're a murderer, expect bad things. But I tell you, this is Jesus' values, ready? Jesus always goes a step deeper. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother or sisters will be subject to judgment. Anybody ever been angry at someone? Look, Jesus said it's not just the murderers who are on God's naughty list. It's on those who actually started gossiping behind the scenes this week. It's those who actually wanted to tear someone's reputation down. Those who couldn't wait to tell other people how bad this other person was in their life. You ever been there? He says you're no better than a murderer. Whoa. Because he takes it a step deeper. It goes way deep into the heart. He, go, he, he goes on. He, he says, uh, you've heard it said... Uh, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. All right, it's not just that you take someone else's wife to bed with you, it's that you want to. If you've ever been at a restaurant and the waitress comes by and you look at her and then you do a double take and a triple take, you're no better than if you took her to bed with you. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying it doesn't matter as much on the outside, it matters what's going on on the inside because it's the inside that leads to everything else. That's what's going on. He says the target is the heart. That's what's wrong. It's not just the act, it's the desire. And that's why we read in, throughout Scripture, and it's over and over and over again, that, that God will continually say, look, people look at the outside, but the Lord looks at the heart. Every single time. God looks at the heart. It's not just how you walked in today. I don't care if you walked in all put together, if you have awesome clothes or not awesome clothes. Some of you look amazing, some of you not so much, okay? God looks at all of you, not on the outside, but on the inside, all right? Right here. And there's some people who look super clean today, but they're dirty as heck right here. Now, this is the crazy thing and super dangerous about religion. If you've ever struggled with religion, you are safe here, all right? You're safe here. Because here's what's dangerous about it. We can work so hard at convincing ourselves we're good. We can show up and we can do all the right things. You can go to church every single Sunday of your life. You can show up at Bible studies. You can read the Bible. You can pray certain prayers. And God says you can actually be the farthest person from him. 
No joke. This is actually what Scripture says. I'm not lying to you guys. James, uh, one of the closest guys to Jesus, reflecting on Jesus and who Jesus is and what he taught, this is what James said. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Meaning that there is a kind of faith that does not save. Do you hear that? There's a kind of faith that actually does not save. He says that kind of faith is dead. Meaning this, it's not alive. It's not alive on the inside. If you, if you truly believe it, it's going to manifest itself in your life. You can't just say that you believe in God. It has to manifest itself deep down in a desire inside your heart. In fact, he takes it a step further and he says, you believe in one God? Good. You know who else does? Even demons believe and shudder. Demons believe in God. They have faith that God exists. They acknowledge that he's there, and yet it doesn't save them. They have a faith that does not save. Why? Because it doesn't come from the heart. They don't want to believe in God. Jesus is after not just your behavior or your belief. He's after your want to believe and your want to obey. That's what he's after. Now, I mean, the same thing works in marriage, I'm telling you. Uh, anybody who's had a marriage gets this. If you've ever had a stretch where it just becomes functional, you know, and, and you get home at the end of the day and, and, like, you're just business partners, that ain't working. You can do all the chores you want. You could, you could clean the inside and the outside of the house. You can make sure everything is spotless. You can make sure the bills are paid. All the lights are on. The kids are fed. You take them to soccer practice. But if you get home at the end of the day and nothing's changing about your connection with each other, you're on the pathway to disaster. That's true. I don't care how good you are inside the home. If you have no connection with each other, that marriage is headed for disaster. Just because you're doing chores ain't keeping the sheets hot. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Look, if you have no connection with each other at a heart level, there ain't no flame. God doesn't want something from you. He wants you. He wants your heart. And he wants you to want him. Now, this is how dangerous it gets. You ready? Jesus had some pretty harsh words for some of the most religious elite out there. We've talked about this a lot here at our church. But Jesus saved the harshest words for those who clean themselves so good on the outside. <laughs> We've mentioned this before, but in Matthew uh, 23 and Luke 11, um, Jesus says, you clean. He's talking to the Pharisees at this point and the teachers of the law. He calls them hypocrites, nails them, goes right after them and says, look, you clean everything on the outside. You look so good on the outside. And you make sure that people know that you pray well, you think well, you act well, you give, you, you fast, you do all this kind of stuff. And yet he says, you clean the outside, but you are whitewashed tombs. Whoa! You're empty. He says, you're full of dead men's bones. Here's his point. Religious activity does not equal a clean heart. Religious activity doesn't mean that you're good with God. Do you know what God is looking for? He's not looking for nice people. He's looking for new people. God is not looking for nice people. He's looking for new people. And there is a massive difference between the two. A massive difference between the two. Let me just articulate for you a few things of what makes this so different and the divide so wide. Nice people don't swear. 
They protect their language so tight. They're just, they're so about, like, how do I clean up my language? How do I make sure it's okay? And they come up with these weird things, all right? I don't know if you've ever heard a Christian or been around a Christian or someone who's been a Christian for a long time, but they'll stub their toe and they'll be like, ah, gee, golly, whiz. Ah, fiddlesticks. You know, like, it, like if you've been around the golf course and someone just hit a weird shot and they're like, oh, fumble nicker. You know, you're like, wow, you've been a Christian for a long time, okay? That's just weird, all right? Look, Christians get weird when they're just all about, like, managing their language. That's not, what not, that's not what new people do. That's what nice people do. You know what new people do? New people leverage their language to love people and build them up and tell them about Jesus. There's a world of difference between the two. One monitors behavior, and the other one is about loving people and loving God. You know what else nice people do? Nice people love to pray right before meals. You know, this is really weird sometimes. I don't know if you've ever been around this, but like, you know, some people, they're, they're hanging out with their coworkers, and they sit down at a table, and, and, you know, the Christian all of a sudden just goes, mm. and they're like, whoa, what, did their computer just shut down? Like, what just happened there? She just went dead. Like, what just happened? Someone called, like, we're, good thing we're in the hospital, you know? Like, I don't know what it is, but like, nice people are all about function behavior, and then, whoop, you know, pops back up, and they're like, all right, let's go. I'm like, what just happened there? You know, that's, all right, so nice people are all about modifying their behavior to make sure everything's clean on the outside and make sure they do those religious rituals. Do you know what new people do? They find ways to talk to God all day long because it's a conversation. They have a dynamic, conversational uh, environment about them all day long. It's not just about praying to God at certain times, at certain sets, and it's not just about ignoring some people or, or saying just the right things. No, no, no. What they do is they actually have a, a living, active conversation with people around them. And so at that table, God is actually not checking the box to see whether you prayed before your meal or not. He's actually wondering, did you love those people across the table? Did you tell them something about who I am? Did you check out their life and what they need? Or are you just worried about checking off that religious box? Religious people, nice people, go to church to earn God's favor. Uh, those who are new people seek God out in a living relationship everywhere they go. They, don't, they know they don't have to go to a religious setting in order to experience God. Nice people also try to, to act nice around other uh, non-Christians and almost kind of think that their behavior is good enough for their witness, right? It's the same people who sit down and pray before a meal and they're like, oh man, waitress saw that. Check that box. I totally witnessed this week. Look, I'm telling you right now, there's some people in this room who think that just because they behave a certain way that other people in the world are getting it. Did you know that Paul said in Romans chapter 10 that nobody can understand the gospel unless you share it word for word, that we are called, we have the feet of the gospel and we've been carried out to go tell people word for word the good news? When was the last time you shared your faith with somebody? Actually had a gospel conversation. Just praying before a meal doesn't tell anybody anything about your faith. And you want to know the real test of whether you actually have friends of people who don't know Jesus? You know, you're called to do that as followers of Christ. You're called to love this world the way Jesus did. The, the real test if you have friends who don't know Jesus is if they invite you over to their house. Friends invite friends over. Acquaintances never do that. 
Guys, are we friends with this world the way Jesus was friends with us? And I'm telling you right now, don't just trust what you can see with your eyes. Because Jesus is after the heart. He wants to know what drives you. What is your deepest motivation? What do you long for? Do you ache for what God aches for? Because Jesus is about something so much different than what you can just see on the surface. He's looking at hearts. This is amazing. We can be so self-deceiving about this, okay? Uh, I, I love this. Pastor John Stott put it this way. He says, some people weave around themselves such a tissue of lies that they can no longer tell which part of them is real and which is make-believe. We do this all the time as believers. We do. We're so good at weaving lies around our heads about whether or not we're good with God and we haven't really adequately understood the heart. Do you have friends who can call BS on you? Do you have friends who will do that? Who will look you in the face and say, you are fake. Stop it. You need friends like that. Otherwise, as the great theologian Buddy the Elf said, you sit on a throne of lies. All right, all right. I just had to say that because that's so fun. All right, look, Christmas is coming. It's going to be awesome around Christmas time around here, okay? I can't wait. Anyway, so here's the question. How do we get to a place where we want to want God? How do we get to a place where it's not just about behavior and cleaning ourselves on the outside, but where we actually want to want God? How do we get to that place? Well, he goes on. Uh, I love this. Um, we have to understand what the word heart is. When he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We have to understand what is heart. Now, our 21st century concept of heart really does us no good on this one. Because when we think about heart, we think butterflies and fluttering emotions and like, oh, my heart will go on, you know, something like that. Like, that's not exactly what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the heart. He's talking about something that's so much more complex than that. It's not just, you know, you, you showed up at the airport one day uh, and, and things at home are not awesome. And you saw some chick that was walking down the way and your heart just became a flutter. And that's what I need to go follow because things aren't awesome at home. I need to go after what my heart says to go after. No, that's not what the heart is all about. The heart is actually super complex. It's a deep, deep thing. One commentator put it this way. It's, it's, it's not just emotion and feelings. It's the seat and the center of the inner person. It says the seat of man's collective energies, the focus of personal life, the seat of rational as well as the emotional and also the volitional elements of human life. It means it, it encompasses your thoughts, your passions, your behaviors, your appetites, your affections, the purposes for which you set your life in motion, all of your endeavors, all of this. That's what encompasses the heart. It's a deep thing that says, man, this is what I'm about. That's what the heart is all about. Now, what does it mean to be pure? He says, blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart are those, uh, I mean, when you think about pure, we got a baptism tank right here, and it's full of water. <laughs> if this was not pure, you would not want to go in it, okay? All right, when, when you think about pure and you think about a glass of, of water, if something else gets in it, it's no longer pure water anymore, right? It's mixed. It's been dirtied. Pure means that there's nothing in it that, that contains or contaminates it from being what it originally was supposed to be. I love this. When something else is inside something else, that means it's a divided thing. It's no longer a pure, unified thing anymore. It is divided. And one commentator said that purity is really all about freeing self from the tyranny of a divided self. See, a lot of us, when we think about purity, we think about just religious goods, you know, how good can I be on the outside? How can I just modify my behavior and all that? But Jesus is after something so much deeper than that. 
He's saying, man, what divides the motives of who you are as a person? And I want to free you from this division of a, the tyranny of a divided self. That's what Jesus is after. Now, when, when we look at the, the Apostle James, he also says that a, a divided person is, is an unstable person. Someone who thinks one way and behaves another way. Maybe people who show up at church but really have no thought of God the rest of the week. You know, people who are like Christians on Sunday but atheists Monday through Saturday. And he says they are unstable in all they do. It's an unstable person. You ever been around an unstable person? You ever been an unstable person? I was a little that way this week, okay? When we're unstable, it means we're divided. Our emotions and what we believe in our behavior, all of that is just mixed up. And Jesus says, I want you to be a unified whole person. I want you to be whole. I want what you believe and what you feel and how you, how you act in that, what you think and all that. I want that all to be unified in one whole person. So what's the first step in this? Here's the first step. Be honest. Be honest. Be honest about what you want most. Be honest. Be honest about where you really are lacking. Be honest about the places that you've really messed up and you've really hurt other people lately. Be honest about it. Really be honest. And if you have a hard time getting honest about that, talk to some people around you who know you really well and can call you out. Why do I say that? Because there's a beautiful moment in Psalm 51 where I think this shows the purity of heart maybe better than any other place in Scripture. Psalm 51, at one point, at one part in verse 10, it actually says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And we love that line, and we can put it on bumper stickers, and we can put it on, you know, cups and paper plates and whatever other religious people do, you know. We, we love to do that. Do you know the context for that? Psalm 51 was written by a man that was named uh, a man after God's own heart after something that he did that was horrific. What he did was not something that we would say was a man after God's own heart. We'd say that was a pretty evil person. King David wrote this psalm. And when he wrote it, he wrote it after a moment where he stole his best friend's wife while his friend was out on battle. Slept with his best friend's wife. And then felt like he could be caught by it because she got pregnant from it. And so he tried to deceive him into thinking that it was his kid at first. And when that didn't work... He sent him out to the battlefield on the front lines so that he was sure to die the next day. This was not someone he was acquaintance with. This was not someone that he had just heard about. This was one of his best friends. This is one of David's mighty men. And he did that to him. And yet in this, in this prayer that David writes, we see a pure heart. How can you get a pure heart when you've done that? David cries out, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He got honest. He got honest. Man, I did it. I own it. I was wrong. I know that now. My motives were mixed. I was a mess. I made a stupid mistake. God can handle your honesty. He can. You just can't handle a divided self who thinks that you're clean when you're really not. He goes on, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And he says, against you and you only, God, have I, have I sinned. 
Now, in that moment, it was God the only one who sinned, uh, that he sinned against? No way. I mean, he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against, you know, all these other guys that, that, that were involved in the process. But when we think about what sin really is, it's cosmic treason. Because when you think about what treason is, treason is when uh, you have lied to a particular home country, and you might have actually hurt a lot of people in the way, but at the end of the day, it's between you and the country, isn't it? That you could be tried for treason. You could hurt a lot of people here in this world, but at the end of the day, every single sin that you have is cosmic treason against the God who made you and loves this universe more than anything that you could ever know. We have to be honest with the fact that, man, we're messed up. And we all contribute to that problem. And in the middle of all this, David cries out, create in me a pure heart. Create in me a a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. And he says, restore to me. This is amazing. Check out the desire and the motives in this. Ready? He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant within me a willing spirit. He says, don't just change my behavior, change my heart. That's what needs to get clean. It's not just the fact that I stole someone else's wife, it's that I wanted to steal someone else's wife. It's not just that I hated someone else in my heart, it's that I wanted to hate someone in my heart. Clean me of that, God, because that is ugly. And this is what I love most about this. You ready? How do we get a desire? How do we get a desire to want God? We got to reflect as David did. He says this, you did not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You did not take pleasure in burnt offerings. In fact, what he he means by that is you you didn't desire my perfect behavior. You didn't. You were not looking at whether I prayed before a meal or whether I didn't pray before a meal. You weren't looking at whether I I made myself perfectly acceptable in front of other people's eyes. You weren't looking at that. You were looking at something so much deeper than that. He said, my sacrifice, God, is a broken and contrite heart. That you will not despise, God. Guys, we got to get honest. The only way to start having a desire for God is to realize that you are far from God. And without hope, without a savior, without any even prayer to have God close to us and to have us close back to God. The only way to get a desire again is to realize that we were lost and far from God. But in the middle of all that, to realize that we are more loved than we ever dare dream. You ever had a moment like that? A couple weeks ago, no joke, um, we hit a moment. We had kind of like a flat line in our marriage. I mentioned this several weeks ago where we're, we were just business partners and things were just kind of coasting. And we didn't even realize it. We kind of slipped into it. And we were just parents and we were just church planters. And that was it. And we just gave all of our time to it. And we looked at each other at the end of every day and we're just like, who are you? You know, who am I? And I'm telling you, in that moment, if it's just chores and you're just doing business, uh, it does not get spicy, all right? It gets ugly. And we had some moments where we kind of had to fight it out a little bit. God's okay with a little fight. Because after you come clean and you make up and you show each other just how much love you have for each other, watch out, that next week gets Way spicy, all right? I'm just telling you. Look, some awesome things can come out of moments where we are really honest with each other and we own it and then we say, man, I still love you. The only way, the only way that you get a true desire for God is coming clean in front of him, all right? Is getting clean in front of him and then realizing that even though you were lost and far from God, you are loved. How loved? So loved that God sent his own son to die in your place. 
So loved that when we were as dirty as you could ever imagine dirt to be, Jesus became dirty for us so that we could become clean. That when you thought your life was worthless and your past and all the mistakes that you've made could never, ever make God love you again, Jesus said, I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to put it on my back. And I'm going to go die the death that you should have died in your place. Why? Because I love you. Because you mattered to me. And I never want you to go another day again without understanding that I love you and I paid the ultimate price for your soul. I want you with me forever. Don't you live another day without understanding that love. I want your heart, not your behavior. You got to hash it out, guys. Jesus is not looking for a perfect person. Jesus is looking for hearts that come clean. And where they've been and hearts that truly want Jesus now. Only then are you going to start seeing God. I'm telling you, back junior year of, of college, I saw God in ways that I had never seen him before because I started getting honest with God. I had come out of a rough season where I made a lot of stupid decisions. And as soon as I finally came clean and said, I own it, God, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've hurt relationships. I've hurt people. I've abused some people. And I own it. I'm telling you, in that moment, I felt God's love more than I've ever felt God's love before. And I started seeing God in ways that I'd never seen him before. This is why it's blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. If you, have a, if you have a hard time seeing God in your workplace, it's because maybe you need to start getting honest about how far you've fallen. Jesus said, those who have been forgiven little love little, but those who've been forgiven much love much. Why? Because they understand the price that Jesus paid for your soul. And when you start understanding that, you start seeing the mercy of God everywhere you go. And you start seeing the love of God in every soul around you, not just you, but others as well. I'm telling you, if you want to see God, if you want to see him at work, come clean, get honest. And then know this, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if you place your trust in Jesus Christ, if he is your motivation, if he is your heart's desire, if he is the, the treasure that has captured your heart at the end of life, you have the greatest, most mysterious gift that any one of us could ever be given, and it's to actually look at God, to see him face to face. If you have ever longed to see God and just be like, God, where are you? I don't get this right now in life. I don't know why life is this way. One day you will see him. One day you will. That's a promise. We're going to see the creator. We're going to see God. In the Old Testament, it said no one could look at God and live. That was broken by Jesus Christ dying in our place. Jesus came so that we could see God and we could see him for all eternity. And you know how good it gets? He makes us new. If there are people who are going to be baptized today, I release you now to go get changed and get ready for that. And what you're going to see in just a second here is a full-on display of nice people being made new. Because what Jesus has done with people who have put their trust in him is not just helping people become nice. It's helping make dead people alive again. The prophets in, in Ezekiel said that, Jesus, that one day, it's not just going to be that I put another law as if you got to memorize certain things and behave a certain way. No, no, no. I'm going to make hearts of stone become hearts of flesh. They're going to live again. There's going to be dead people that come alive. 
that's what happens when God gets a hold of your heart. It's not that you were just kind of sick and needed a little medication. You were dead. You were dead in your sins, and you needed resuscitation to life. That's what Jesus is doing. And when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, purity happens when we are washed clean. And 1 John 1.9 says that if you confess your sins, if you own it, if you get honest and broken about it, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to what? To forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I'm telling you, this is what our God does. He's in the business of making dirty things become pure, not because of what we have done, but because when our hearts are fixed on him, he washes us clean. Maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe today's the day that you need to know that you can have a fresh start and a clean heart. Maybe today is that day that you need to understand that it doesn't matter where you've been, it matters where you want to go with Jesus and what he's going to do to remake you new. In just a second, we're going to get to hear these stories of people who have literally become new creations because their, their, their gaze has been fixed on Jesus and what he's done for them, not what they've done on their own. And so I want to do this. I want to introduce you to some of these people before we baptize them. And then what I want you to do too is that when we baptize them, this is not just like a, you know, we put on white robes and make sure everyone's nice and clean and we just kind of tiptoe in. Look, I've been to churches where it's almost like a puppet show. You know, you got like this whole baptism tank on the top and people just kind of like come in, you know, say a couple of things, ding, and like, you know, they're out. Like that's not it. This is a celebration. This is a party. And so when we get people under the water, we want to hoop and holler and tell them, look, Dead people are alive, okay? So when we do this, I'm telling you, this is going to be the greatest party that we have as a church. It's going to be nuts, and I can't wait to celebrate. You ready? Brianna Bloom. This is Brianna. Brianna came to our church kind of close to the beginning. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's Brianna. I know, that's a cat, but that's that's Brianna too. All right, all right. So look, (laughs) you can't correct me in the middle of a message. That's not cool. All right. Um. This is Brianna. She came to our church early on, and I'm telling you, Brianna has been a quiet soul, but in the middle of all the quietness, God has been recreating and remaking and making new the whole time. This is what Brianna told me. In this journey, she's had a number of friends that have come alongside her and and shared this love for her the way that Jesus has loved her. And I asked Brianna, man, tell me, why do you want to get baptized? And she says, growing up, I always seeked approval from friends and family. I always cared too much about what other people thought of me. And I strived to achieve that good feeling. Though my time at the well and with other support and guidance, my friends have taught me the importance of God's true love, his real love. It's taught me that God sees me not as just good enough when I'm failing, but that I'm loved. Deep down in who I am, that I'm loved. When I don't even like myself. And she says, I want to embrace this truth of what Jesus has done for me. I want it now because of what he's done for me. I knew. My buddy knew. When I first met him, we were at a party together and he was by himself, sitting by himself. And uh, I sat down next to him and was asking him, man, what's life like for you right now? And we caught up a little bit and I said, <laughs> I was like, hey, you should come to my church. You know, it was like a nice, clean transition, except there wasn't no good transition at all. It was just like, you should come. Uh, and he's like, okay, I will. I'm like, really? Okay, awesome. Uh, so anyway, he came, and uh, it's been a journey over the, the year where he, he described himself as an atheist. He said, I don't believe in God. I don't think God exists. To the point now where he says, 
not only do I believe that God exists, I believe that he's Jesus and he's done everything for me. And Newt said this, he said, it's all about love. I've learned that now, that it's not about rules or tactics or practicality. He says, I love Jesus for what he taught me and what he did. He can be nothing less than God. And after I've thought about him, I want to follow him and live according to his ways. I'm so happy. And I sat down next to a noop at a coffee shop a couple weeks ago. We're talking about baptism. And he said, my only hesitation is not Jesus, but what other people are going to say about me if I get baptized. See, I come from India, and if I get baptized inside a church, I'm going to have friends and family who desert me and could reject me for the rest of my life. And I asked him, I said, Anoop, is Jesus worth that to you? And with tears in his eyes, he said, yes. Yes, he is. This is Becca. Becca came to our church this summer. <laughs> Just this summer. It was a couple weeks ago. And I wasn't even preaching, thank God. <laughs> All right? She needed to hear from someone else. And she came, and I had a guest preacher come in, and he shared the gospel of what, about what God had done for her. And in the quiet of her seat, she said, I want that. I want what Jesus did for me. I want that. This is what she said. I want to be baptized because I want people to know that I've chosen to follow Jesus Christ and keep his commandments and try to live a Christ-centered life because of what he's done for me. So we're going to celebrate the mess out of Becca. I'm still getting to know her. (laughs) And we're going to celebrate her like she's been a long-lost family member come home. This is Sarah Taylor. Sarah has been incredible from day one. She has done everything that we've asked her to do and more. She has loved people better than I've ever seen people love people. She has over and over again just done amazing things for our church. And in the middle of it, at the very beginning, at the very beginning, I asked her, well before I knew her, uh, I said, Sarah, what do you want most? And Sarah said, I just want to experience God. I just want him to be real in my life. And over the course of this year and a half, I just got off the phone with her a couple weeks ago where she said, I have never seen God the way that I've seen him over the past couple of months. He started showing up in my life in ways that I I didn't even think possible. And she said, Pastor Scott, I want to get baptized because he's become real for me. He's not just an idea. He's become real. And it's not someone else's decision. It's my decision to get baptized. And I want people to know that he's my God and that I love him with my whole heart. And she said, I would have no motivation to live the life that God has called me to except for Jesus. But with his promises, I can live that life with joy. He is my motivation. Do you hear that? Knowing that his promises are better. I am not losing. I can only gain. The Lord is my portion. I will wait for him. The Lord delights in those who fear him and put their hope in his unfailing love. This is Mark and this is Allison. I know two different pictures here, but they're a couple, and I love them so much. Charity met Allison at a park uh, about a year and a half ago, and um, when they first met, um, Allison wasn't sure that a church would really love them anymore, based on what had happened in the past, wasn't sure, but Charity said, we're a church of all sorts of imperfect people. And Allison's like, sign me up. (laughs) 
and she started coming to our group and we started building a friendship with Allison and she's become one of the sweetest people that we've ever known. And Allison, if you need someone to be honest to you, <laughs> choose Allison, she'll shoot straight with you and I love that about her. I love that about her. This is what Allison said, you ready? I asked her to send me something and she was mean and didn't send it to me ahead of time. So uh, she says, since renewing my relationship with God, I've had many trials that my faith was, uh, and my faith has been tested, and yet I kept my faith strong. And in these times and these hardships, I've seen over and over again how awesome, how real, and how powerful God is. And I want him as my Lord and my Savior. When I first met Mark, do you know what happened? <laughs> Mark showed up at church, an atheist did not believe that God was real. In fact, Mark came from a hard life where things were really hard. And he went into the military and served overseas and saw things no one should ever see. And out of that hardness, he thought, how can God even exist? There's way too many evil things in this world. It's not possible for God to be real. And yet when Allison invited him to come to church, he came, <laughs> much to Allison's surprise, <laughs> and he sat in the seats and God got a hold of his heart. And over the next couple of weeks, we started having conversations about faith. And we had a series we called God on Trial. And God on Trial, we explored things like where is God in the midst of evil and suffering? Where is God when everything doesn't seem right? And over eight weeks, uh, Terry and I sat in his home and we were staring at each other across the living room. And he looked at me and he said, every objection I've had against God has been dismantled. Now what? <laughs> I said, Mark, this is, this is the fun part. You get to have a friendship with God. And over the next couple of weeks, Mark said, I'm in. I want to know that God. I want to know that God. And I want him to be my Lord and my Savior. He says, life has thrown me many curveballs. Usually I'm quick to say that God could not exist when those things can. I recently found faith and believe in God. Even though times are tough, I have a new confidence and a new feeling of strength to overcome with the Lord on my side. Come on, come on now, come on. These are the lives that are gonna be changed and that are gonna be baptized today and I'm gonna invite every one of them to come forward now. Come on up, come on up. If you're gonna get baptized, come on up. We want you to form a line right by the, the tank here and I want you to see that these lives are not just nice people. Every one of them will tell you they're not nice, but they're new. And their heart has been changed because Jesus is real. And so we're gonna celebrate that new life today. And if you are a part of our church family and you've played a part in their role and their life and their transformation, I don't want you sitting in your seat. I want you down here at the tank and I want you to help me baptize them. You ready? Let's do this. <laughs>